7.04. Another huge one on tap for you tonight. It's time for Ira on Sports. 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo here as well. And Ira, you know, we've been discussing uh, so much in the world of college football and NFL over the last couple of weeks. And it seems to finally be coming together a little bit. And I think we've got, you know, we're going to talk about what you think the selections are going to be on Sunday. But I think this ended up being a really fun college football season. What do you think? Oh, I think it's it's great. And, and now we're getting the time in the playoffs and it'll be I, I just I love the fact there is a playoff. I think we're excited about it and uh, I'm ready for it to go. I think it's been great. This last weekend was I mean, I watched football <laughs> from on Friday for about 10 hours and I watched on Saturday for like 14 hours straight on five five TV. So I am I've watched every single college football game that was out there. I think too bad you can't see Ira's um, war room with the, the massive big screen TV and the TVs on side of it. That you're my friend, out in. my <laughs> friend in Youngstown, Ohio, created a room called the Ira room in his house and it's a 72 inch <laughs> TV surrounded by four 48-inch TVs. I have the remote. I have total control. You can watch five games at the same time. And it's not like you're at a sports bar where you're watching a game and someone wants to put curling on and then <laughs> they turn that off. It is just, it was just awesome. I sat there. Uh, my friend has two large golden doodles and they mm. sat and watched with me. They love the games too. So I just watched every, I mean, all to the end of the Boise State-Utah State game on Saturday night. You should uh, coin that term, the Ira Room. That's, that's pretty good. Um, I, I don't know where you're getting these guests from. Last week we had John Michael on uh, Cleveland Cavaliers radio play-by-play guy. This is amazing this week. We're going to have Andrew Catalan, CBS Sports play-by-play broadcaster. Tell us a little bit about Andrew because he's a huge deal. Andrew is like one of the top uh, play-by-play uh, people in all of sports. At CBS Sports, he's on the third or fourth team. Um, so there's like Jim Nance and Tony Romo you see on the first team. And then he's broadcasting games every week. So this week he was doing the Ravens-Raiders uh, game. And uh, he's definitely, you know, he's on the rotation. He's only 36 years old. So eventually he's going to be doing their prime games, you know, you would assume. And he's done college basketball. He does golf. He does tennis. I mean, you probably don't recognize his face, but you hear his voice all the time because yeah. he's broadcasting all the games. It, a five Olympics. Olympics too. I mean, this guy started young, obviously, that he's been to, you know, that's 10 years worth of broadcasting right there. If he's doing everyone, this is going to be a great interview right about 730. Andrew Catalan joins us here on Ira on Sports. All right, Ira. So, you know, we always want to know where have you been? What have you been up to this past week? Well, considering that I'm a self-described LeBron expert. (laughs) (laughs) Got the Cavs gear on today. Well, I was at LeBron's last game as a Cavalier, the first time when he played the Celtics. Then I was at his return to the Heat as a uh, return to Cleveland as a a member of the Heat eight years ago. Loudest game I've ever been to, the most intense game. And LeBron even said it's the most intense game he was ever at also. Then I was at all his title wins with the Heat. And then when when he came back to the Cavs, uh, they played the Knicks in their first game back. I was there Mm -hmm. for the return. I was there for his title wins as a Cav, his last game as a Cav, his first game as a as a Laker and Just a few uh, weeks ago, was a few weeks uh, yeah a few weeks ago and then his return on Wednesday night uh, the, the return of the King to Cleveland for the only time this year. So, like you said, that arena can be one of the loudest in all of sports from what you've seen. So, what was the atmosphere like uh, last week? Well. On Wednesday, before the game, I got there early because I wanted to get in. I wanted to watch the Duke and Zaga game. And everybody was at this place called Harry Buffalo's, which is a very popular bar right near the stadium. And the bar was packed and everyone's watching Zion Williamson play and mm. RJ Barrett. And they're debating, like, which one are we going to get? Because at that time, the Cavs had won two games yeah. all year. <laughs> and they had a nice little win in the last couple of games. But it was exciting to be down there. But it was like, it was almost, you're trying to get a feel for what people were going to say with about LeBron. And and they just were like, they're just happy for him. They're, they're sad that he left, but thankful that he brought them a title. Totally Totally different than eight years ago. Uh, eight years ago when he returned, he had left without winning a title. Mm. And he had came back with the Heat, with Bosch and Wade. Now he came back. It's a totally different LeBron. It's, I, I'll call it almost like the, um, the, the uh, Star Wars, mm-hmm. the Return of the Jedi. With Luke Skywalker, <laughs> he's no longer Luke Skywalker or whatever. Now he comes back as, uh, as a total Jedi. And he comes back as a three-time champion and also someone who delivered the championship to Cleveland. So they weren't they, I, the fans eventually, it was just, it was lukewarm. I mean, it was like, there was no one's going to boo him, but they weren't really cheering him yet. Mm-hmm. So, so the, that was the, I was really debating how that was going to go. I didn't anticipate people to boo him, I, but I thought there'd be some kind of cold shoulder a little bit. You think it was, was kind of like that? I don't know if it was cold shoulder. I, I, definitely 30, 40 minutes before the game, um, there was nobody in the stands. An and that's hour, strange to me. An hour before the game, years ago, uh, eight years ago, it, the place was totally packed mm. full of people. Um, he, the Cavs came out, Lakers came out, 
when he came out, people were just taking pictures. They were like, no one was even clapping. Everyone was like <laughs> taking pictures and it wasn't even filled then. Um, he went up and did his warm ups. People were watching. When they made the announcement, um, St. Vincent, St. Mary's, usually they announce the visiting teams really fast. You can't even see the word. Mm-hmm. They did slow down LeBron James and it was like polite applause. There was no booing. There was no signs. There was no anything. It was polite applause uh, that he was done. And then the Cavs, they were excited when they, they announced the Cavs on there. Um, it's interesting though, the stadium is being under total renovations also. Mm-hmm. There is outside it's a it's rubble and it's almost <laughs> like lebron left and now like i there's a way it was freezing cold that game and there's a bridge that you go from the parking garage over to the stadium and you can stay on that bridge and you don't get cold if you're waiting outside to walk in the stadium so i went up there and i'm like where's the i couldn't find the bridge like did i forget where it was it they go oh they took that bridge down so the entire Crazy. bridge lebron leaves the bridge to the stadium leaves <laughs> everything around the stadium is pure rubble all around the stadium it's really funny uh, how that worked out you mentioned something about his shoot around, he does, you know, way before anybody else comes out. He didn't used to do that, right? I feel like he used to kind of put a spectacle on back in his earlier days. Earlier days, but later, I, I noticed in the NBA Finals, I tried to get there like an hour after before the game, and you could see Curry and Durant and Kyrie when Kyrie played there. Mm. They'd shoot around, they give their whole warms, but he'd be done before anybody could get in the arena. You, nobody ever got. I know. I don't. Of all the NBA Finals, I've been eighteen in the last twenty. I don't have any pictures of LeBron shooting before the game, really? and I'm there like the first person in that I'm allowed in. That's interesting. I, I, I mean, for me, I'd want to be do it right before. You know, get really loose. I guess. I guess LeBron doesn't need as much practice as we do here on Ira on Sports ninety five nine True Oldies Channel. It's seven ten. I'm Mike Balsamo. So. I think what everybody was wondering was how did the team receive him? You know, he's still he played with a lot of these guys last year. How did that chemistry go? I thought it was interesting before the game. Tristan Thompson came over to him and they had a handshake. They have this special little handshake they had last year and they did the same thing. It, it lasts like a minute. I think the game was delayed as he was doing his handshake. <laughs> but he did go over to every one of the players and, and I'll say this at the end of the game, uh, he went and, and hugged every single Cav. They were very respectful. He also hugged every usher, every concession worker, every security guard, like awesome. every single person. Like there was, it was definitely people were coming up to him. He made sure to say hi to every single person that worked there. And it's weird because you see these same people. I've been to so many Cavs home games, so I see the same people. But he he was very much, uh, you know, hugging them, talking to them. He just didn't run off the course. He was the last person to leave and wasn't really doing interviews. He was just really talking to people. You know, I really, he's one of the biggest... I don't want to say anomaly. I don't know the word for it, but it's very weird how he's received by sports fans. People, obviously, people love him, but then people hate him. What's there to really hate about LeBron James? He's never been in trouble with anybody. He, you know, he donates a bunch to charity. He's a great father, a great husband. I, I don't get the hate for LeBron from some people. I, I think it's, I think it's foolish. Well, I think it's, it's, it's just comparison. I mean, sometimes it's just how he's on the, you know, people. He's on a team that you don't like and you don't want to see him win. Mm-hmm. Um, in Cleveland, he's definitely revered and he will always be revered. I mean, it was weird. He came back. Like if LeBron had retired and came back, they would probably have a, a thirty-minute standing ovation. Oh, yeah. Their statue would be out in. Front. But the fact that he's coming back for with another as another team, um, I mean, I, w- I wasn't there when Michael Jordan came back to Chicago. That would have been an interesting game to comparison to mm-hmm. when he played for the Wizards and he came back. I, I couldn't believe anybody would boo him when he came back, <laughs> came back for the Wizards. No, I highly doubt that. Uh, so, Ira, tell, tell us about the game. I know Cleveland uh, hasn't been doing too good, and, and the Lakers are actually looking okay in the West. Well, I was just waiting for a spark. I mean, it was like one of those games that was so quiet. The first game that every Cleveland Cavalier that was ever in, was there, everyone is ringing the court. They were all around the court. The screaming and yelling every time LeBron touched the ball, the booing. That was eight years ago. This game... I mean, it was like a preseason game. It was so quiet. There was no juice to the game. There was nothing happening. LeBron made some dunks that were exciting, but it really wasn't that great a game. It was just, mm. it was just, you're like, wait a second, is this what's going to happen the entire game? So it was, it was like, it was, uh, it was really weird. And at the eight minute mark, they did a tribute for LeBron. They showed a video on the video board, only one minute. And it was really about his community service. And people gave him, a, they stood up, they clapped. It was respectful. No one booed on that either. And that was nice that they did that. But it wasn't, it wasn't this uh, return of LeBron. LeBron, you know, Kobe walks in the arena of L.A. and he gets a standing ovation for five minutes, mm-hmm. you know, and he just walks into the arena for no reason. It's interesting. And Cleveland is known as being really diehard, passionate fans. That's why I was wondering if maybe there was a little bit of like a cold shoulder thing. Like, we respect what you did for us. We're not going to boo you. But that doesn't mean, you know, we're thrilled that you're not I wearing just a don't think they, I don't think it was a cold shoulder. I don't think people didn't know what to do. I just think people <laughs> felt like they wanted to be respectful and just say nothing. You know, like one of those type of things where they didn't, I think was, they just didn't feel like, didn't know what to do because they didn't want to root against the Cavs. Of 
it was interesting. When he played eight years ago, he sat on the bench and I was sitting right, right behind him. And Dwayne Wade, the booing was so intense. And he talks about this before the game. He gave some great interviews. Uh, he never saw that before or after the boo, like, like it was. And Wade put his arm around him. It was every time he sat down and Wade was like giving encouragement. Mm. And it was interesting to see LeBron come back now. LeBron didn't need encouragement from anyone. He's the leader. He's a decade older than most of these guys at the ca- on the Lakers. And he's the one talking to Lonzo Ball and talking to Kuzma and talking to Brandon Ingram. He's the one who's giving them encouragement, saying, don't worry about this. Don't worry about this environment. I have it. I have it. I mean, it's totally the, the, totally different from a, the time eight years ago when he wasn't a champion, hadn't delivered a championship to Miami or Cleveland. And now eight years later, he's the mentor. He's the leader. He's in charge. It, it's just neat to see that. Do you think that's why he, want, he chose the Lakers? Do you think he was looking for this role? I kind of do think he was ready to just... He's still the best, but maybe to take on more of the mentorship role that he hasn't done, like you said. I think that I think Los Angeles was just the, where he wanted to go to be for his business enterprises, where he felt the team was the right situation for him, and uh, so. But he still he's very competitive. I mean, that was what you know in the game. It was like you asked me about like. It was at 99-91, they were losing in the fourth quarter. And I think that's when the Cavs fans like, there's five minutes to go, we're up eight on the Lakers. We have won two games all year and lost like 13. Like, this is our chance. Mm -hmm. And then they started getting in the game. And at that point, LeBron just took over the game. I mean, they're up by eight. Tristan Thompson misses a shot. LeBron takes the ball like a freight train, drives down, passes to Kuzma for a three. And then he goes, the next time he gets another rebound, drives down, gets fouled. He goes to the line. They start to boo him there. Then I have some boos when he was at the line. Very little booing, whatever, anybody else. But it was sort of like a little bit because he's at the line. He made both of those free throws. And then they Clarkson hit another three. LeBron comes down and drains a three. So suddenly in the space of like a minute, he ties the game from 99-91. And he just like... I mean, again, it just like whole idea of the game. He just took every rebound, controlled the ball, dribbled the ball up, and just the game was his. And the Cavs were like, oh, we're so scared. Like they just wilted under the mm. pressure of LeBron. They had never saw anything like that before. So he finished with 32 points, um, eight for 12 from the line, 14 rebounds, seven assists. But I felt it was, it was more than just the stats. It was just that ending of the game where he just completely took the team on his back mm. and just won the game by himself. Isn't he been the, you know, the best to watch doing that, you know, over the past decade or so? It's so entertaining. And you saw, the whole scheme he shot his free throws well he hit drain the three and just taking nobody I mean getting the rebound I mean Westbrook's exciting but when LeBron got the ball and he's dribbling up the court I mean it's, he's up the court in like a second mm. and he's and everyone's like out of the way I mean it, when he, <laughs> he just said I'm, I'm not going to lose this game like he was not going to lose the game and everyone around me was like he's not going to lose this game he's yeah. going to figure out some way to win this game I, I, I knew that he would deep down to being LeBron James it's seven sixteen. you're listening to Ira on Sports 95.9 the true oldies channel I'm Mike Balsamo just about 15 minutes from now, Andrew Catalan, CBS Sports play-by-play broadcaster, is going to join us here on Iron Sports. Got a lot of stuff to talk to him about. He's actually going to be doing the Dolphins game uh, this upcoming week, so uh, plenty to stick around for. Ira, college football. You know that I, I don't really have a home team when it comes to college football, but I really have jumped on UCF, and this is my squad, and I love that they call themselves the national champions. It, this is all fun. Nice win, but this poor kid, Mackenzie Milton, their quarterback, had a pretty gruesome injury. The backup played okay. Um, tell us about this game. What'd you, what'd you like? Well, I was. They were easily winning the game. You know, they beat South Florida thirty-eight to ten. But the injury, they they is they didn't even show it. They, I watched had to go on YouTube yeah. to watch the replays of it. But clearly, he's out for the rest of the year. He has another year of eligibility left, and he might. It seems like it's a type of injury you'd have to set another year for. But he was the heart and soul of that entire yeah. team, and they played very well after he left, which is surprising. But it doesn't look like they're going to be. They'll get into the one of the quote, New Year's six bowls, but they're not going to play in the playoff. But they are. But they're all finished this season. They're going to have two back-to-back undefeated seasons in the regular season, which is very impressive. There was an interesting call by South Florida, too. There was about uh, – it was the first half, and they were only – the score was within two scores. And it was like fourth and one, and they punted from, like, their, their own 40. They could have just, you know, like – I don't know. It seemed like don't give UCF the ball back type of thing. But this is what UCF does. And they came down. They scored like two plays later. And and they just went on to roll from there. Uh, UCF remains unbeaten. Oklahoma, Ira, this might be. And I don't want to, you know, give up your, um, you know, give up your playoff predictor just yet. But I don't know if they're going to find themselves in. But uh, they did have a nice win over uh, West Virginia. Well, I don't know if nice crazy insane yeah. it's been the fourth <laughs> week in a row I mean they won 59-56 it wasn't an overtime I mean everybody was just scoring touchdowns after touchdowns it, there were plays on there it, when I say flag football I mean they would just do run up the middle normally it, it would look like the Pro Bowl there was no tackling at all it was embarrassing like how the, neither team was tackling uh, and the only difference was it reminded me of a little of the uh, Rams uh, Chiefs game, game. Monday <laughs> game because the only way the only thing that cost the reason West Virginia lost the game is that twice Will Greer fumbled 
fumbled the ball, mm. and Oklahoma was able to pick. The Oklahoma was going to stop them, but they forced Will Greer, the quarterback of West Virginia, who had an, a monster, monster game. He was 32 of 49 for 539 yards and four touchdowns. But he fumbled the ball twice, and they picked it up and ran him for a touchdown. And those 14 points were key for Oklahoma. But it was, it was just up and down the entire way. And when you felt like West Virginia had the lead, Oklahoma would come back and score a touchdown. It was um, yeah, one of these classic shootouts that you love to make fun of so much once we get uh, teams like Oklahoma um, tied up into these and then, games. And then the weird thing, though, was the game was 52-49 Oklahoma, and the West Virginia came down, and they got at the two-yard line, and it looked like they were going to score another touchdown, but there was a it was a blocking. This guy for West Virginia decided to block out of bounds to the – he blocked this guy. It was out like a movie to the stands. And then they had to call it an NC roughness penalty, brought back to the 45, and that's when Greer fumbled again. And that sort of was the difference in the game. And West Virginia would complain about saying they were robbed. Mm-hmm. I, it was – you had to make that call. The guy was blocking 20 yards off the field. It was like out of the Waterboy movie or something <laughs> like that. But uh, um, it was – it was just a, it was a crazy game. Some stats, just a couple stats I want to get. Oklahoma had 25 first downs. They were 4 of 9 on third down and 2 and 2 on fourth down. That means they, they only had to a punt or turn the ball over like two times. But they had 668 total yards. West Virginia had 704 yards, a combined 1,300 <laughs> yards in both of those games. Um, Kyler Murray, 20 of 27, the quarterback for Oklahoma, 364 yards, three touchdowns, and he carried the ball for 114 yards, uh, certainly making a stamp for being at least in New York for the Heisman Trophy candidate. Uh, uh, show, but uh, I just I wasn't impressed with it. You cannot, as we're going to talk about this later, Oklahoma's defense is embarrassingly bad. The one of the worst defenses I've ever seen on a team. Worse than the Cincinnati Bengals. They're pretty bad. <laughs> we'll talk about them uh, coming up a little bit on Iron Sports. Iron, before we move on, Will Greer, NFL quarterback. You think he's going to make it? Possibly. Uh, he's I like. He has a really strong arm. Yeah, uh, he does. And he and you know, there's a you watch these. The, you're trying to extrapolate because you're seeing some of the great young players like Baker Mayfield mm-hmm. playing today. But Will, Will Greer looks. Kyler Murray's not going to play in the NFL. He's going to play Major League Baseball. I think he has a five million dollar yes. contract already. But Will Greer definitely, I think, will be drafted. Uh, and I think he's probably a, maybe a second round, third round pick. But he could he could make it. Yeah, I mean, I think they have him in the top five for quarterbacks. And I, you know, I'm asking as a Giants fan because we might be uh, in the market for one of those coming up. Washington. Versus Washington State got a little bit of an upset set here, but the the real upset was was the weather ira for this one. Oh my gosh! Anybody watching on TV, you love watching these games where you can't see what's happening in the game. Yeah. <laughs> and I felt bad for Washington State because they've been just rolling teams. And uh, uh, Minshew, the quarterback, has been um, Gardner Minshew has been amazing. But he he could not. He threw for 152 yards. He was averaging like 350, 400 yards a game before then. Um, and Washington, they beat him at Washington State. And the reason is they had Miles Gaskin is their great running back, who's mm. an NFL running back. And he had 27 carries for 170 yards and they won 28-15 but I, I, I look at this game for an NFL game because Washington State's a very high-powered offense, everything. Their weather, they play in bad weather conditions. Kansas City also is that. Kansas City, this is what Kansas City's going to look like. Even if they get the home field advantage, they have to play at Kansas City or they go to New England or they go to Pittsburgh or they go to these cold-weather teams, they're going to be shut down from that. That's going to hurt yeah. them because the way they play, they can't do that when it's snowy and cold. And I, two years ago, I was at the Kansas City Steelers game, and it was a sheet of ice in the game. That's a game the Steelers won without scoring a touchdown, 15-12 or something mm. like that. So it's just an example of Washington State for Kansas City saying – you know, you choose to have this high-powered offense in a climate like Washington State. At the end of the season, you might play with snowstorms around you. And, and, you know, it's, it's always something that – this is one of the reasons I love, like, the NFC North because they build their teams for this. They they know, okay, we're going to be playing in, you know, some really bad weather come January. So then the Patriots seem to always find a way, too, in, in that bad weather. And that's what sets them apart. That's when you win playoff games. Um, let's talk about Texas and Kansas. This one was pretty close to a ranked Texas team. Well, I want to. I'm bringing up this game because the fact is, people keep saying Texas was the big win for a big loss was the was not a bad loss, whereas Ohio State's loss was Purdue, mm-hmm. Oklahoma's loss was to Texas. Texas looked terrible against Kansas. Um, they barely won the game. Kansas is a team that lost to Nickel State. Um, and the other thing is that Kansas put up 40 on uh, on Oklahoma, and they still you know they split 17 on Texas. That just shows you how bad Kansas defense are. So can- Oklahoma <laughs> plays Texas in the in the Big. 12 championship game at 12 o'clock on Saturday and that'll be you know a game everybody will be watching along with the Ohio State game well uh, let's talk about it Ira it's the game everybody was into and it got kind of ugly Ira Ohio State just absolutely floored Michigan you you picked this on the show last week so uh, props to you and this is really going to stir up the playoff pool well I think everyone I think people are overconfident I was with all Michigan fans and they had this confidence that they've lost to 14 and 15 years uh, they were th- uh, Harbaugh was 3-0 and 3 against Meyer mm-hmm. but they felt like this was the team but um, 
I just, I, I think everything happened, happened. I thought Ohio State suddenly, they're a team that was not motivated the whole year, and suddenly they're playing at home against their arch rival. They'll be motivated for this yeah. game, and they came to play, and they totally on all facets of the ball. And the game should have even been more of a blowout because Ohio State, anyone watched the game, they, they were up 21-6 at the end of the first half, and then they uh, then Michigan, they let Michigan come down, score a touchdown. They kicked the ball, and on the kickoff with hardly any time left, Ohio State fumbles the kickoff and then suddenly then they score another touchdown. So it was it was that was crazy. Besides that, then the second half starts and Ohio State blocks a punt, forces a fumble and there's ball game, game's over. I mean, Haskins the quarterback for Ohio State was 369 396 yards, six touchdowns, no interceptions. And the key for why I like about I think people understand Ohio State, I think, is better than Oklahoma. I think Ohio State deserves to get in there uh, as the, one of the for, the fourth team. But they, Michigan had the best defense in the United in the in the country, mm-hmm. and they had 567 yards, not, not against West Virginia, but against the best defense. So if this defense that Michigan had was so great, so awesome, and Ohio State scores these points. Plus, Ohio State showed that when they want to play defense, they play defense great. Let's talk about, um, before we get to Andrew Catalan, who'll be on in about five minutes here on Iron Sports, CBS Sports play-by-play broadcaster. He'll be doing your Miami Dolphins game next week. You know, Ira, I follow a lot of these betting sites, and a lot of them are telling you, take the under on Alabama-Auburn. It looked okay through the first half, and then Alabama basically covered the over-under on their own um, just with an offensive explosion. Well, Tua Tagovailoa is just... I mean, he's tremendous. He has 36 touchdowns on the year, two interceptions. His 80 incompletions the whole year and 36 touchdown passes. That's I amazing. mean, his stats are through the roof. Alabama's defense, you know, Jared Stidham is a very good quarterback. People think he's a pro quarterback, and he was terrible. 13 for 30, 127 yards. What I like about Bama, they had six receivers that caught three balls or more with five getting 50 or more yards. So he, so two would just push the ball around. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alabama was rolling. It's, this is a rivalry game, and I said it was close at halftime, 17-14, but again, Alabama – Beat Alabama, it, I just going to take an amazing performance to be able to 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 win four quarters on Alabama. It's going to be extremely difficult to beat this team, but you never know. I didn't think that Clemson would have beat them uh, two years ago. So things happen. I'm looking forward to it. Speaking of Clemson. This was a, a big win over South Carolina, but they're expected to win, and this team's guaranteed for the playoff. Totally guaranteed. They play Pitt. They're a 25-point favorite. I was, the thing that I take, my takeaway from this game was I didn't like Clemson's defense. They were favored by 25, 26 points, uh, they, uh, and South Carolina scored 21 points in the first half on them. Uh, their quarterback had 300 yards passing. It just showed that if, the, if South Carolina could do that against Clemson, what could Alabama do to Clemson? And I, I, I don't think, even though they won by 21 points, I wasn't impressed with their performance. Isn't that the difference in the, you know, this Clemson team than the Clemson team of two years ago? That they just don't seem to have that same intensity. I think front? some defense, sometimes their defense, but their back end on their secondary is poor. Um, that's something Alabama can exploit. But that's looking way forward. The question is, can like Notre Dame exploit that yes. out of Clemson? So let's talk about Georgia and Georgia Tech. Love this rivalry game as well. And Georgia's going to be a team that's trying to sniff this playoff here. Right? Well, that's the game. That's the other game on Saturday. Georgia plays Alabama for the SEC title. And Georgia just, they, they've been, Georgia to me looks like the second best team in the country sometimes. I mean, they just blew out Georgia Tech. They have two great running backs, Swift and Holyfield, and uh, just took that game. It's had one of all the five games I'm watching. And every time you looked up, they, their running backs were running for 40 yard runs. So they have a great offensive line. Kirby Smart's a tremendous coach. They had that amazing championship game last year, lost to Alabama. Um, if anybody can beat Alabama, it's Kirby Smart. So I know he's done great. <laughs> against all the assistants, but it's going to be a great game on Saturday. I can't wait to see it. Um, this game was built up to be pretty good, too. Notre Dame versus USC. I got to tell you, I thought this could have been a trap game. I, I could have seen Notre Dame. You know, they play each other every year. I could have seen USC surprising them. The game was kind of close at 24-17, but Notre Dame's looking good to hold on to that uh, you know, 3 seed going into the playoff. Well, USC jumped up to a 10-0 lead, and this is a type of game that the, it's always been upsets in history, and I thought, Notre, I, I thought USC, and they had their chances, like they were up 10 nothing, and they should have been up 21 nothing. Notre Dame got off to a slow start, and I thought they would have been able. This is the first time Notre Dame looked bad in the last like, month. And, uh, but then they won 17 straight points at the end. Uh, Ian Book, their quarterback, was tremendous, and Williams, their running back, ran well. Um, but uh, Notre Dame's now done. They have no playoff game, and they're, they're, they're going to be in the playoff. They'll be either the second or third seed. So it, It's great for Notre Dame fans how that works out that they don't have a conference, a conference championship game. Not that I think they'd lose to anybody. That, you know, they're playing pretty well. Um, let's talk about Texas A&M and LSU. Because this is one of those games you love where no defense is played. <laughs> well, there was de- let me say there was defense. It's the fact there were seven overtimes that were played, so yeah. that was made it. But it was the most exciting thing because it was thirty-one twenty-four LSU. Uh, LSU punts and they were three and out, and they punted the ball. 
A&M gets the ball with like a minute 20 left and Kelly Mon, the quarterback for A&M, uh, so he has like it's second and 10 with 26 sec- seconds left on his own 47. He fumbles the ball, then throws the ball, throws an interception. So they dump the Gatorade on the LSU coach, Ed Oregonia. They, it was all the game's over. Mm-hmm. But then they go, we're reviewing it. And I go, there's nothing to review. The interception was clear. He caught in the air. He ran like 20 yards and then fell on the ground. But, they, but what happened is the Texas A&M quarterback's knee hit the ground. So because it hit the knee hit the ground, the play was dead. Mm-hmm. But so it was like 20 seconds to go. Everyone's still celebrating. He throws the ball down in the middle of the field. It was unbelievable. And uh, on third, on a fourth and 18, he threw it down and there was 10 seconds left to like to down it with 10 seconds left. And then they somehow, I, the clock operator must have stopped because I watched this again. Again, they threw it down again to like the 19 and from with 10 seconds to one second, he was able to run a play, run down there and down the ball. I've never seen 10 seconds go so slowly. But then he threw a touchdown pass to tie the game. And then the overtime was tremendous because they were like, they were going for two point conversions and no two point conversions and the, and the field goals and the touchdowns, seven overtimes worth. And it was really exciting. It, I, I love that game. So it was, it didn't really mean that much in the scheme of things, but it was an exciting game to watch. Real quick, I people in Tallahassee got to be a little bit upset. Not only did they lose to their uh, you know cross state rivals pretty badly, um, they're not going to go to a bowl for the first time in my life, my entire life. How crazy is well, that? Well, it's been since 1982. And, and this was at home, and it was a bad loss. And Florida State has got to just ever they. I mean, Jimbo Fisher got out at the right time. I mean, he, he, I yeah. guess he knew what he had, and he goes to Texas A&M. And I'm saying, you watch that game and see what Florida State was doing, and then you see what I was impressed with is Texas A&M, the stands were packed. They love their team. It's like 95,000 people. This game didn't mean anything about the playoffs, but the fans were into that game. He was able to pull out a victory. People are going crazy. That's the reason why Jimbo Fisher went to Texas A&M. There's more passion at Texas A&M for football than it is Florida State. No, absolutely there is. And we're just about a minute away from having Andrew Catalan, your CBS Sports play-by-play broadcaster, joining us here on Ira on Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. All right, Ira, we want to know who's making the playoff. We're kind of set on a few teams, but there's a lot to go around with the next couple. Okay, it's going to be Alabama, Clemson. Alabama and Clemson are one and two, and Notre Dame is three. And if Georgia, if at Georgia ends up beating Alabama, which is highly unlikely, but if they do, then Georgia will be in, Bama will still be in. So all those four teams will be in. The question is, if as expected, Alabama beats Georgia, who will be the fourth team? It's only going to be between two teams, Oklahoma and Ohio State. And I know right now Ohio State's one position rated ahead of Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma's rated one position ahead of Ohio State, but I've watched every one of Oklahoma's games this year and almost every one of Ohio State's games this year. I don't think it's close. I mean, Oklahoma really doesn't have any signature wins except for the West Virginia game. They beat FAU 63-14, UCLA 49-21. They beat Iowa State uh, 37-27. But they went to overtime with Army. They beat Baylor 66-33. But then they had these against Texas. It was 45-48 where they lost. But they they gave up 46 to Texas Tech. They gave up 47 to Oklahoma. They gave up 40 to Kansas. Winning those games with bad losses and 56 to West Virginia. Now, Ohio State doesn't have a non-conference, any great non-conference wins also. Uh, Oregon State, they beat 77-31. Ohio State, 52-3. Uh, then they beat t- TCU, 40-28. Um, but their big win was the win over Penn State. They came into Penn State. They beat Penn State when Penn State was ninth in the country. And they also went to, uh, uh, they also had the big win over Michigan when it's fourth in the country. Now, they've had some bad games. The uh, Maryland game, they won two, two weeks ago in overtime, and the Nebraska game where they barely won by five. But if you're just analyzing, I think Oklahoma's had, doesn't really have any good wins, has a bunch of bad wins, whereas Ohio State has the excellent win over Penn State at Penn State, the win at Michigan, the win at home against Michigan, and even the win at Michigan State where they beat them. So when people say, well, they're losses to Purdue. But Purdue is six and six. Nebraska and uh, Texas is uh, nine and three. But that Purdue game, uh, Purdue. I mean, no, they blew them out. But Purdue is a very good six and six team. They uh, they lost their first three games by a total eight points. They could easily easily been nine three. I think they're equal to Texas as a team. So I really don't think this is close. I think the committee also is going to look at this and think that Ohio State has a better resume. In the end, I think Ohio State after they beat Northwestern, they're waiting to see these conference championship games. Certainly, if Oklahoma blows out Texas fifty to nothing and Ohio State beats Northwestern by one, Oklahoma will probably get in. But if both win handily, which they should, at that point, I really think the committee is going to put Ohio State in. 
You are listening to Ira on Sports 95.9, the True Oldies channel. It's 7.33. I'm Mike Balsamo. It's time to bring in Andrew Catalan, CBS Sports play-by-play broadcaster. You know his voice from NFL, NCAA, golf, also Olympics. He's a graduate of Syracuse, so he gets a plus one in my book. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us here on Ira on Sports. Hope you're doing well. We are doing great. Um, so... You know, we know that we want to talk some NFL with you, but going back to Ira's point, I'm sure you heard, who do you think is going to make this final spot in the NCAA playoff? I think it's crazy right now, right? I mean, the, the results over the weekend were wild. I understand all your points. I, I would lean towards Oklahoma. I think ultimately it's not going to matter. I think Alabama is going to beat whoever is put in front of them, <laughs> but it does make for good debate, and uh, it's been exciting. I watched a lot of the Notre Dame game. Saturday night, it was impressive to me, even though they beat a, a weaker USC team that they dug out of a hole. They didn't look good in the first half. So I think we will have some excitement, but I think it's going to be tough for anyone to beat Alabama. Andrew, um, you know, before we get into the sports questions, I think everyone who is a sports fan has at one point sat back, turned the TV off, and tried to do play-by-play by themselves. How did you get involved with this, what, I, what a lot of people would consider a dream job? Yeah, without a doubt, I feel really fortunate to uh, to go to an NFL game every Sunday. It's uh, something I never take for granted, and I was just as a kid, it was just a passion of mine to to get into sports. I knew it wasn't going to be athletic enough to uh, <laughs> to do it on my own, so I was going to have to announce somebody else doing it. And um, Syracuse, as you mentioned, has a great program for it. I've met a lot of good people along the way, and and, and like any business, but I think especially this business, you got to have some breaks and you got to be in the right place at the right time and I think that happened to me uh, in my career and I'm uh, very lucky uh, to, to do a game each Sunday. Well let's talk about the game you did this prior Sunday Ravens versus Raiders. You know Andrew going into this everyone was saying uh, Joe Flacco this is his job this is Joe Flacco's team. After another win for Lamar Jackson do you think the tides are turning do you think that they might be ha- handing the reins over to Lamar? Yeah, I think that it's going to be a fascinating week in Baltimore. Uh, this is going to be the biggest decision of John Harbaugh's yes. tenure as Ravens head coach, and this is his 11th season right now. They've won two in a row uh, without Joe Flacco. Lamar Jackson has looked to me like a rookie. Now, he, he's done some good things, but he's also made some mistakes. He threw a couple of poor interceptions yesterday. But ultimately, what he has done is he has rejuvenated their run game. Yes, And that has made a big difference against two weaker teams, the Bengals' defense and the Raiders' defense, nothing to write home about. But, you know, in the offseason, Baltimore invested a lot of money in John Brown and Michael Crabtree and Willie Sneed. They put a lot of money into their wide receivers, and Flacco is clearly the better passer. So I have no idea what John Harbaugh is going to do. I'm fascinated by it. I can't wait to see who he puts out there in, in Atlanta. And that's all assuming that Flacco is healthy and returns to practice this week. But I think either way, you'll see more of Lamar Jackson than you did even if Joe Flacco returns, but there's definitely a chance this could be Lamar Jackson's show the rest of the season, and I'd be fascinated to see how the Ravens do. Andrew, this is Ira. Thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, The question also is about this game is the Raiders. Uh, there was so much enthusiasm and I watched with anticipation at Gruden's press conference and everybody expected, I don't think people expected to go 16 and 0, but they, you know, they've heard John Gruden for so long, like you do the games and, and it was interesting and people were, I guess, expecting big things. Uh, the year has not turned out anyway as you know, like what everyone thought was going to happen. Where do you think the Raiders go from here? And do you think Gruden's going to be able to turn this around? Yeah, I think he will, but I think it's going to take some time. And I think a lot of people expected immediate results when you have a team that went to the playoffs in 2016. You return some of the core players, and then you have a coach who's getting a $100 million contract. So I don't think everyone expected it to be like it is right now. They've got a lot of things against them. Obviously, they trade Khalil Mack. They trade Amari Cooper. They don't have a home for next year right now. Their lease is up in Oakland. They're not supposed to go to Vegas till 2020. There's really not another option to go to Vegas a year early. So they're in limbo for next year. But here's the good news. They've got the three draft picks. They've got their own pick. They've got the Cowboys pick. They've got the Bears pick. They're going to have about $75 million in cap space in the offseason. So this is going to give John Gruden some time to do what he wants with this team. So, yes, they're taking their lumps. But to be fair to them, I think it could be a lot uglier for them in the situation they're in right now. Their guys are still trying hard. They have the right attitude. The wins are not coming. I don't even know how good they'll be next year. But I think down the road when they get to Vegas, 
they will be a team that competes for Super Bowls under John Gruden. I really believe that. Well, Andrew, I spent a lot of time in Vegas, and I was just there two weeks ago, and the enthusiasm for this team, I mean, they could be 0-100, but the enthusiasm <laughs> is over the top. I mean, that's all people are talking about. Um, it is Everyone's wearing Raiders gear wherever you walk around, and it's it's definitely, I don't think a team's going to be more embraced than this team. They are as excited. You see what the, the Knights are doing in Vegas, and I think the Raiders are going to be multiplied that times 100. Um, but I guess you're doing the, go- the Dolphins game this weekend, so I don't know if you've done your prep work yet, but as you as you might know, they they did lose to the Colts, and I didn't. What's your what's your impression of the Dolphins being five and six, and Tannio coming back but losing and, and blowing a twenty four fourteen lead? It looked like a game was in hand. Yeah, so I did the Dolphins a couple of weeks ago when they beat the Jets in that uh, that offensive shootout in Miami. And <laughs> I have I did already watch the uh, the Colts game from yesterday, and. and yeah, not a good fourth quarter for sure. That was a big game against an Indianapolis team that I'm very high on. I've had them three times now in the regular season. I'm really impressed with what the Colts are doing under Frank Reich. But but to the Dolphins' point, uh, you know, I know that the play calling was questioned down the stretch. I'm a big believer in Adam Gase. I think that he's been dealt some tough cards these last couple of years, specifically with injuries. And we saw it again this year with Tannehill out. Looking at their schedule, it's not going to be an easy finish for them. I mean, Buffalo has won two in a row, then the Patriots at Minnesota. Jacksonville is in a weird situation right now, firing their offensive coordinator today and benching Blake Bortles. So that's their Week 16 game, then Week 17 at Buffalo. And you're already talking about a very crowded AFC with the Ravens winning yesterday and also now Indianapolis at 6-5. and So I think it's an uphill climb for them to get into the playoffs, but I think that they'll compete. I think they'll battle, and I think that they'll be playing meaningful games in December. I just don't know if it'll be enough to get them into the playoffs. And I think this this Sunday's game against the Bills is interesting for Dolphin fans because there was a lot of talk before the season started is drafting, you know, moving up and making a trade to draft somebody. And one of the players people were talking about was Josh Allen, who's the Bills quarterback as a, as a rookie, who's having, had an up-and-down year. But people seemed... What's your, what's your impression in terms of... I know that uh, they had a nice win against the Jags 24-21 yesterday, but what's your impression of the Bills so far and of Josh Allen? Yeah, so I do the Bills in the preseason, so I spent a lot of time around Josh Allen this summer, and, I, and I've had a couple of a game, his games this year, including the one he got hurt in uh, in Houston. Uh, I, think he's, I think he's got a chance to be a very good quarterback in this league. I don't, I'm not impressed with the Bills' offensive line. I, I think that's part of the reason why he got hurt. It's part of the reason why the Bills have not had as much success this year as they did last year. But I think there's a lot of potential for Josh Allen. He's still so raw, uh, you know, playing in the Mountain West Conference at Wyoming, wasn't tested at, at the big stage that much, uh, but he's got all the physical tools. I think the surprise to everyone, and you saw it yesterday in their win over Jacksonville, was his running ability. He rushed for 99 yards, but he's got a huge arm. And I think as the Bills' offensive line gets better around him and some of the weapons improve, he really doesn't have anyone to throw to right now. Kelvin Benjamin has been a disappointment since arriving in Buffalo. Their tight end, Charles Clay, has been hurt. LaShawn McCoy is not having a very good year. I think once Buffalo gets some more weapons around him, you're going to see him develop into a, a really a top-flight quarterback in the league. It's 741. You're listening to Ira on Sports. This is 95.9, the True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. We're speaking with Andrew Catalan, CBS Sports play-by-play broadcaster. Hear his voice every Sunday. Um... So let's take the opposite side of the coin here, Andrew. What do the Jaguars have to do here? This isn't all on Blake Bortles' shoulders, is it? I mean, I know he's getting benched, but this team has more issues than just awful quarterback play. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that their defense has played as poorly as it has this year is such a mystery. I mean, uh, I did them a number of times last year, and we all saw what they did. They were a win away from the Super Bowl, and pretty much everyone came back on the defensive side. So, yes, Blake Bortles... He gets all the blame. He got benched today, and I'm not saying that Blake Bortles has, you know, uh, played well by any means this season. Uh, but it's it's a lot more than him, and to me, it's really on the defense. Uh, I don't know yeah. how it's gone wrong for them. Uh, they have a lot of big egos on that team, and a lot of guys that have, are you know used to success, uh, and certainly on the heels of last year when they played so well. And I always wondered if it kind of went the wrong way, how that defensive unit would stick together. And they have some great leadership in, in Calais Campbell especially, but there's also some, some other guys on that team that you know you really wonder about how much they stick together. So I think it's just been a, 
a perfect storm of things that have gone wrong. You look at the offensive side of the ball, they've just been decimated by injuries. They lost their left tackle early. They've lost three tight ends. Uh, they lost Marquise Lee in the preseason. Again, these are not excuses uh, for Blake Bortles, but it's definitely not all Blake Bortles. It's the reason why Jacksonville has fallen apart. It's the weirdest swing I've ever seen in my life. A defense going from just absolutely, maybe one of the best defenses I've ever seen, to not be able to stop anybody. The, the Bills can't score on anybody. and They're dropping points on you. You've got issues. Uh, speaking about not scoring points, you got the New York Jets uh, tw- twice so far this season. I'm a Giants fan. So um, it, it's got to be a lot of fun going in there and seeing these Jets play. But, you know, this was an interesting game. Tom Brady and the Patriots, they did win this one. You're supposed to win this game. Do you think that Tom Brady is no longer considered elite? I mean, granted, he had two touchdowns this week, but the last three weeks, only one touchdown. I'm still taking him on a two-minute drill, but I don't know if he's on the level of some of these quarterbacks as he's, you know, 40 years old now. Yeah, I'm still one of those guys that's never going to pick against the Patriots until they actually lose the division or, or you know lose a couple playoff games. Uh, they haven't been playing their best football, but I think if you look around the AFC especially, there's uh, there's no dominant team. You could make a case for the Chiefs, but I could also point you to their defense and yes. show you why I don't think they're a dominant team. Uh, so I feel like the AFC is still wide open this year. Gronkowski was out a little bit, you know, injured the last few weeks. I think that certainly hurt their offense. I don't know how good their offensive line is compared to previous years. So I, I'm still one of those guys that if you say you can take Brady uh, or you could take the Chiefs, I'm probably still going to pick Brady. I mean, that that's just the, the type of team they are, the type of coach they have, and the type of quarterback they have. Andrew, just I wanted to go over one more AFC game this weekend was, I mean, two teams that are sort of going, I guess, opposite directions in terms of their records are similar. But one, there's hope like in Cleveland, you know, they beat the Bengals 35-20, but they have the quarterback of the future and the one who's playing the best of all the the rookies. And then the Bengals, which is just a total disaster right now. And and now Andy Dalton's going to be out for the rest of the year. Um, have did, did you get it? You know, sort of you've seen Mayfield play. What is your impressions of him? And is he is he as really as good as he's looking right now? Yeah, no, I've been impressed with him sitting in meetings with him and, and talking with him this season. Uh, he's got all the traits of a leader. He's, he's not uh, cocky or arrogant, but he's definitely a confident guy. And I think that his teammates gravitate to him, and that's exactly what you look for in a quarterback. And uh, I think they've got a lot of good pieces there in Cleveland. You're already starting to see it come to fruition. Obviously, they have a huge decision coming up in the offseason as to what to do at head coach. But I think there's a lot of nice young pieces it's obviously a tremendous fan base. It's, I, think it's, I think it's a very good and attractive job uh, coming up in the offseason. You're going to look yeah. around the league and see which jobs are open, and you can kind of start guessing now what's going to be there. I think Cleveland, with a young quarterback at Baker Mayfield, uh, a great fan base, as I mentioned, and, and you know, a guy like Chubb at running back and some young guys uh, on the defensive side, I, I think that's going to be a really attractive head coaching job this offseason. Now, a game tonight, I think I'm excited about this game because you just don't know what Tennessee Titans is. I it, smell an upset. Is this the Titans team that loses to, uh, is the beats the Patriots and, and looks like uh, <laughs> like uh, they're going to win the Super Bowl or the Titans team that just loses to everybody else? I mean, I think the Houston Texans and the Tennessee Titans, I know you've done the, have you done a couple Houston games? You've done a Houston game and a Titan game this year so far. So what's your impression of the game tonight? Yeah, I did Houston against Tennessee week two, a game that Tennessee pulled out. I've had Houston a number of times, and I, I had the Titans last game last week when they lost to the Colts, and they didn't just lose to the Colts. They got destroyed by the Colts. Of course, Mariota went down in the second quarter, but but even at that point, I don't think they were going to win. Look, I thought they were going in the right direction after that Patriots win. I watched that entire game. I, I couldn't, you know, I thought Tennessee was ready to take off, and then they do what they did last week in Indianapolis, and it just leaves you scratching your head. Look, the Texans are at home. They've won seven in a row. Uh, I, I, I think they're going to keep riding this momentum tonight. I think Tennessee's in a, in a weird spot coming off a bad loss. Quarterback is not 100%, as we saw. Uh, I think this is a tough one for Tennessee. I'm not going to count them out in the playoff race, uh, but tonight I would probably go with the Texans. And one last question, Andrew, I appreciate you coming on the show is a lot of people ask me, I was wondering this, how do you, how do you, do you know in, in advance which games you're going to do? Like, is it two weeks in advance or do you just, do they actually wait till the end of the week and to, then tell you like on Monday, oh, this is where you're going to be the next week? Yeah, we we usually find out about two weeks in advance. So I know I'm going to Miami this week and I know that next week I've got Denver at San Francisco 
you know, some of the, the issues become, you know, the NFL changes the schedule around with flexes and Sunday night football games moving it out. So it's a little hard to get our games so far in advance. And they also kind of want to see what the matchups are. So the only time I find out six days before is week 17, because that's when they set the schedule for the last game of the regular season after the games for week 16. But other than that, I at least have a week and it's usually it's a little closer to two weeks advance notice. Well, it'll be great to be down here in South Florida. Well, I'm going to be at the Steeler Charger game. But anyway, um, Good but, for you. but any, do you want to make a comment on the Steelers? Any, I'll throw about, that's my, I've been to eight of the 10 games this year so far, eight of the 11. <laughs> Well, I mean, that was a tough loss yesterday for sure. In Denver, always a tough place to play. But, uh, you know, it's a Denver team that I'm not completely sold on. I thought that was a tough loss for Pittsburgh. But now it sounds like Melvin Gordon is going to be out at least a couple of weeks with the Chargers, and that's a massive loss. As much as I love Phillip Rivers and their offense, removing Melvin Gordon from the Chargers' offensive attack is is really going to change the dynamic of their of their offense. So that game is in Pittsburgh, and, and I, I'm pretty sure that, that, that the Steelers will be uh, looking for some payback after that tough one they lost in Denver yesterday. Well, well, enjoy your broadcast here in Miami. It's nice and warm. It's much warmer here than it is up in New York at this time of the year, so <laughs> you'll, you'll like that. And uh, appreciate you coming on Iron Sports. Andrew, uh, before we All right, you, guys. Thanks so much. Yeah, we appreciate your time. He is Andrew Catalan, your CBS Sports play-by-play broadcaster, joining us here on Ira on Sports. It's 749. Ira, great interview. And he he's obviously someone who's very knowledge, but uh, very knowledgeable, but also um, obviously, you know, he speaks for a living. And, and he's, you know, you could tell he's got a love for the game, uh, kind of like we do when it comes to sports. All right. Let's talk about your Steelers eye. You, you grimaced when I said that. This was a weird one. And you were really quiet uh, yesterday. Usually, you know, we've got the text going back and forth during the game. This must have been just. It didn't look like Steelers football to me. What happened yesterday? I think the Steelers. It did look like it looked like Steelers floor, football moving the ball up and down the field, but the not scoring points. I mean, that's what the problem was. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had their first three possessions were ten plays, twelve plays, and ten plays. And of those, that's thirty-two plays. I guess that's yeah, thirty-two plays. They got three points. Yeah. I mean, when you fumble and they had one of those fumbles I think it's a terrible role where if you fumble at the one yard line and the ball goes through the end zone the other team gets it on the 20 mm-hmm. like you think it should be just reset at like the 20 it like your no 20 sense. so I think that's terrible that was a bad they get a field goal blocked because a guy jumped over the line which no one thought was even allowed I, even I thought that wasn't illegal but as long as I guess you don't touch anybody and you don't take a leap and you can just do a standing leap over there uh, you another can block. gray area NFL rule. yeah so that was but that was crazy and and the four turnovers destroyed him I mean uh, it was just it was it was a crazy game I mean, Ben was 41 of 56, 462 yards and a touchdown. But the four turnovers, the Grimble's fumble, Ben's interception in the uh, third quarter, and uh, and James Conner in the third, fourth quarter made a terrible fumble. I mean, the Steelers yeah. were going to take the lead in the game. And this is now the second week in a row that he's had a fumble or he had a drop pass in Jacksonville. But this was a, a terrible fumble. And then Steelers drove down the chance to tie the game. And Ben's been getting abused by this for this decision. It looked like a terrible horrendous pass was, yeah. I felt bad I think it was weird the call but play before two plays before he tried to run the ball and it was almost like the game against Jackson where he almost ran the ball in and he pulled up at the last second and didn't do that and then they ran this play and it was on third down so he didn't really have to force it and it was interception uh, and then the game was over I, I was also mad the Steelers blew all their timeouts because even if they threw the interception it was a minute to go they would have been able to get the ball back and with their offense is explosive if anyone's seen Juju had a 97 yard uh, touchdown on one play this mm. is the second time in two years He's a caught the ball. He is amazing. He's electric. He has hands. I mean, this is compare him to Beckham. He has hands. He can catch the ball everywhere. And he has speed. And he runs every route. He can run down the field, the crossing mm. routes. It's like he's tremendous. And Antonio Brown's great too. The Steelers have two of the greatest wide receivers of all time. Like I think Juju will be, but eventually people are gonna look back and say they had both of them on the same team. And it's like, oh, I just don't want to. This is where I'm I'm nervous about Lavian Bell. I, I like Connor a lot. He's on my fantasy team. I like him to play, but I think that it would be great to have Bell. Like, I think you want all the weapons you possibly can have. This is the year to win the Super Bowl. Mm. And um, 
if Bell was in that game, I think it could have been a difference. I mean, it was weird. They're down 10-3, and the way the Steelers scored their touchdown was Boswell, the kicker, threw a pass to uh, Vitaleva, the uh, offensive lineman, to score at 10-10. But the Steelers, the second half, had this game. And I, again, that fumble that Connor had, I think that was, I mean, every, all the momentum was going their way. And just, they cannot, they cannot turn the ball over. You cannot have four turnovers in a game. When I was talking about the, you know, the, the Steeler way, I was more with the defense. I, I mean, this has been maybe the, you know, the top defense in the league. Over, at least over the last six weeks, going into this game, I don't think Denver's a very good team on, on offense. And, you know, 24 points isn't a whole lot, but when you don't score 24, that doesn't look so good. Was there anything on the defense that stood out to you? I was amazed how uh, Emmanuel Sanders got open for a couple of plays. They went down there. Lindsey ran yeah, really he, well. Yeah, he had a good game. Um, Lindsay, it's amazing. Lindsay is from Colorado, was an undrafted free agent. Undrafted. Mm-hmm. And now he's second in the league behind Barkley. Like, you look at his numbers. His numbers are like a little under Barkley's numbers. And then Lindsay got, a, I think, a, a $10,000 signing bonus. $10,000. <laughs> Barkley had a $10 million or $5 million mm-hmm. signing bonus. And it, it, he just runs so hard. And he's a great back. And he, and he played well. And they use him right. Uh, Case Keenum played smart. And they beat the, look at this team. They beat the Chargers the week before on a last second play. They beat the Steelers on a last second can play they've been in close games all year um the Steelers have always had trouble playing in denver I, I, that place scares me um <laughs> we lost to tim tebow we the steelers lost to tim oh, tebow yeah. there so it's always been dangerous but it's a bad loss for steelers that uh, if they beat the patriots i mean there, there's the way they the problem they have is that they have the patriots and the saints and the chargers mm-hmm. uh those are three they could win they could lose all three of those games no this is probably the, the toughest stretch anyone's going to go through this season um speaking about the chargers I think Andrew Catalan was right. I think that Melvin Gordon's a really big part of this team. Whether or not, you know, uh, you know, fans, you don't hear much about them. And people wouldn't realize how good Melvin Gordon's been this year. He's an all-pro uh, f- from the AFC as far as I'm concerned. This line was 12 points versus the Cardinals. And I knew that they had no shot of this coming even close to it. And San Diego did absolutely rout them. Phillip Rivers looks good, but I'd be worried about losing Melvin Gordon, I well, Rivers was 28 for 29. He, he set an NFL record and had 25 straight completions. Um, Rivers is having one of the best years ever. Yeah, he is. And it's just amazing in a year. It's like, I mean, look at how like Ben and Phil or Rivers are, have, are older and, and Breeze, and they're having these amazing years, and Brady's still playing. And then you yeah. have the young guns out there like Mahomes and Goff. Uh, it's an exciting time in the NFL when you see the veterans and, and, uh, and the rookies playing. Let's talk about uh, last night's game. This is one... It's going back to prove your point more and more, Ira, that maybe Aaron Rodgers isn't the best quarterback on the planet like everyone says he is. Minnesota can play defense. I'll give them that. But this is a game that the Packers are supposed to win, at least if you're Aaron Rodgers Panther uh, Packers. They didn't, though. Minnesota looked pretty good, and they got the W. This is why they brought uh, Kirk Cousins in and paid him all yeah. the money. I mean, that game was exciting. Uh, Cousins passed for 342 yards. Rodgers, 182 yards. Uh, Cousins is able to use Diggs and Thielen, uh, really pass the ball around him. He's, he's, he, he used to have two receivers. I mean, the Steelers have Juju and Antonio Brown, but Thielen and Diggs are the other great tandem. Uh, the Packers were 2-10 and 10 on third down, and I'm noticing this with all the Packers games I'm watching. Uh, Rodgers is not throwing interceptions. But it's he's not getting he's not co- making the conversions on third down and that's and some of these aren't like third and twenty they're third and like five and third and six and mm-hmm. they're missing these short passes uh, for some one reason or another and in the NFL you got to make those third down conversions you cannot be I mean I can't believe a team ever won a game being two and ten on third down you know you talked about the Juju and Antonio you know they're one A but one B's got to be Teelan and Diggs I mean these two guys. I don't think outside of Minnesota, if you're not in the Mall of America, you'd walk into these guys and have no idea who they are. (laughs) But they're both stupendous receivers, and we're seeing that in and out. Kirk Cousins looked good. Um, I I brought it up on this show last week, and I say it almost every week. At the end of a game, there's nobody I want more running my team than Russell Wilson. And he proved it yet again on what I think is an overrated Carolina team. I think they've now dropped three straight, too, Carolina. Um... Huge win for Seattle. Russell Wilson, this guy is amazing. And if it wasn't for the Drew Breeses of the league right now, I'd say he could be the MVP if this team makes the playoffs. I am the, I just, I'm the biggest Russell Wilson fan. I just, at the end of the game, He's I'm, amazing. I just, his ability, of football. his ability <laughs> to escape, uh, not get sacked, uh, be able to extend the plays, be able to go to the line and just call a play, to, and not and to run when you have to run, but not run all the time. Mm-hmm. Be able to, to to extend drives. I mean, he threw a pass to Lockett at the end on that final Beautiful. drive. Oh my! I mean, that was like. <laughs> 
perfect. I mean, and, and under under clutch, and then also smart, knowing that like they're smart. They they don't they know they don't want to score and give like what I like what Seattle does is if the score's tied, they'll go down, they'll kick the field goal, win the game. They're not going to go down and score a touchdown and let Cam Newton get the ball back so he can score a touchdown. Mm-hmm. They just ran the clock out and ran the whole clock out and just kicked the field goal. They had the ball down there with two minutes to go and just literally played for the field goal, knowing that's the way you gotta play. You gotta not let the other team have the ball. And if you lose the game because your kicker misses a twenty five yard field goal, then so be it. But the old days of like, oh, we have to score a touchdown, we have to score. There, you cannot give, but with the scoring the way it is, yeah. you cannot give Cam Newton 30 seconds, 45 seconds, or a minute to score. I don't care how many times outs are left. I we got about a minute here before we got to move on to maybe the event of the weekend, which I know you enjoyed. <laughs> um, let's talk about the Rams and Chiefs just for a second. We left here last Monday night after Iron Sports here on the True Oldies channel, and I was going home anticipating a really fun football game. And we got that times a thousand this was a great game it reminded me a little bit of one of those you know Oklahoma matchups where I don't think they wanted to play defense as hard as they could have maybe towards the end of the game they were scoring a lot though in this game you think this is the most exciting game you've seen in a long long time because for me I was at the edge of my seat I'm on the edge of my seat. I don't. I still want to see defense being played. It's weird how these games, exactly especially with the like Rams. The, the Rams play defense. The Rams play defense, and they were able. I think the key is, and I think that West Virginia Oklahoma game says it. If you're going to let the team go up and down and score, at least have a defensive lineman because there's no protection for quarterbacks. So they're going to come in and sack and get. The idea is this is where the Packers make a mistake. Clay Matthews gets all those penalties where he's falling on top of of the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And they ask Von Miller. They go, "Are you nervous about these rules?" He goes, "No, because when I go to sack a quarterback, I'm trying to strip the ball. I'm not. I don't want to." like have a heavy sack I want to get that ball because that's how you're able to get these you're mm-hmm. seeing that and the Rams game was key I mean that was the difference of the game on Mahomes on those sacks that he turned the Aaron ball Donald over Donald is a beast yes and they were able to force <laughs> those to turnovers and if there's anything about that game and I didn't say this last week but I think Mahomes you saw a little bit of rookie in him, that he was a rookie you saw mistakes a golf being in the league another year I think that that and that I think is going to affect Mahomes in the playoffs I mean everyone thinks Kansas City is just unstoppable they might put another 100 points down the rest of the but I think when it gets cold, it gets in the playoffs, it gets pressured. He's still only a rookie, and he's going to be go- now in the AFC. He's going to be going against the Philip Rivers, the Bens, yes. the Brady's. He's going to have this is going to be the very, cold. in the cold. This is going to be hard. This is going to be a hard time for him. I agree with you completely. And, you know, I picked the Rams to win on this show last week. You picked the Rams as well. They're a good team. They can score points, they don't play defense. And I, yeah, I can't see them. Jeez. I mean, New England and Pittsburgh is one thing. They're really good. But even San Diego could, could take them, I think. You know, Phillip Rivers, if he has a game and they do play a little bit of defense in San Diego, I think this team's very, very beatable. And it might be Andy Reid's, you know, classic thing. You know, someone made a good point on there, so I'm, I'm going to copy this point, so I don't know who to credit for this. But they said that Mahomes sometimes, and the way these shootouts go, and maybe the real Greer Oklahoma example is also, is that you're not playing the other quarterback because they're not playing. It's not LeBron versus another player yeah. out there, Kevin Durant. But they're watching the other quarterback, and they feel like they have to outdo him. And they felt Mahomes against Brady. You see that Mahomes somehow times forces the passes that he doesn't normally force because he sees what Brady is doing. And I think he saw what Goff was doing. And I think that put pressure on him. And I think that that's where he reacted. He didn't sort of play, I'm on offense. He almost felt like I have to score nine points on a play, not just the seven, because he wanted to keep up with Goff. No, that's a great point. And he totally was doing that. They get out of their game as a rookie or as a young player and start playing up to what they need to do. Tom Brady never does that. Tom Brady plays his game every single week. This is what we do every single week. We go over by a little bit. It's 8.01, Ira on Sports, 95.9, the true oldies channel. If you're a golf fan, you had a date last Friday night. Um, Ira, I was super excited for this. Tiger and Phil, and you loved it. I, I, I watched all the comments and everyone says they thought it was terrible. I thought it was awesome. I, I could not wait to watch it. I loved when I was watching it. I mean, I don't know what people were expecting. I mean, were they expecting them? I mean, I think both didn't play that well. It was a weird setup. Usually I've watched a lot of these skins games and people don't play their A games at the skin games. Mm-hmm. It, was, it is a little weird when you're trying to win a hole and trying to win holes rather than if you're out of a hole, you don't care. They were within a whole shot of each other the entire time. They didn't talk to each other the whole time, but as much as the, when they talked, it was interesting. I mean, you never hear Tiger talk at all. I mean, his press conference was, was cool. so scripted for his entire life. So it was really neat to hear him talk to the caddy when they were reading the greens. You could hear them talk. So it's like, well, it wasn't perfect. They didn't talk like for three or four hours. I'm like, well, I wasn't expecting them to talk yeah, for four hours. They're not the type of people that talk for four hours. And the fact that they had some interchanges, that was enough for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Tony Kornheiser made a comment. He goes, I'd watch it 10 times. So would I, because I just loved it. I loved everything. The 
only thing I did like from the from the perspective of the production is that when Tiger and Phil are talking, why would you talk over them? Mm-hmm. Like this is what you want to hear. They are mic'd up. They should shut up. Let them talk. I want to just hear the t- them talk. And I think a lot of times they didn't even think that they were on mic'd up. It seemed like it was very natural. They were talking about reading the putts. And there was a time when Phil and Tiger were going back and forth about putt that they both missed and how they read the green and what they thought the green was going to do and those things. I mean, it was a little geeky and those things, but it was it was neat. I loved it. You mean, you know, it sounds not geeky when you're a golf geek. This is what you love. You know what I mean? This is why we watch it. I think some people were expecting a UFC fight because it's pay-per-view, that it's going to be this slug match, you know, there's going to be theatrics to it. I wanted to see the inner workings of golf and what these guys go through hole to hole and the interactions with their caddy and I think we got that I thought it was going to be boring where I thought was well they'll hit their shots they play it and it'll be boring as they walk up the course but was there a walking that was the exciting point because they're talking to their caddies they're talking to each other it was really interesting to see what's happening and they I said they both didn't play well um, and it ended up I mean the way that t- uh, Phil the weird thing about it was they tied after 18 it was only one good shot on 17 mm-hmm. Tiger was down a hole and he and he uh, chipped in it was a great it was only his best shot of the tournament so he, he it was beautiful of the game it was a good chip in which we expected more of it they go to 18 and they replay 18 again and then they go the weird thing was that they played 20 21 22 which was dark so they had to have a they had to set up an 87 foot special hole for one putting <laughs> green to another and it was just an 87 yard hole it was ridiculous and tiger was really uncomfortable and phil and they both were hitting terrible shots mm. it was a weird ending they, if they could do it again they probably should just put lights on a on a par three and do it a short par three but that was the weird thing and and, and also they get criticized because they were conceding putts but i think both of them wanted the other one to win like they they didn't want someone to miss the three-foot putt this isn't punting for the british open they wanted to win this and i think i i don't have a problem with them conceding the putts they they wanted to each one of them said you know the winner has to win this and i don't want someone else to lose it so i, I didn't have a problem with the concession of butts and i think they were both trying they both wanted to win phil really was trying out there hard all right ira before we wrap it up who do you like tonight monday night football who's going to take this one down I think Tennessee is fine. I think I just don't. They're know. so hard to pick. They're so hard to pick. But I think Tennessee. I I, I think Mariota Mariota stay healthy, uh, and Deion Lewis is going to have a great game. Watch Deion Lewis have an amazing game tonight. I am taking Tennessee as well on the books here on Ira on Sports. I want to thank Andrew Catalan so much, your CBS Sports play-by-play broadcaster, for joining us here on behalf of Ira. Mike, let's talk next Monday night. Ira on Sports.